Hey, Bitch Talkers. This is Aaron. We have a very special episode coming to you right now. Uh, Ange and I were asked to be a part of a panel called Art as Activism at the Mill Valley Film Festival over this past weekend at the Mind the Gap Summit. It was just, a, it was a great day all around. We were surrounded by women and uh, allies that uh, wanted to learn more about women in film and tech and the disparities and the numbers right now, but what women are doing as producers, as people in the tech industry, as directors, as subjects. Um, it was really great. So, Angie and I, uh, we moderated the last panel and uh, we had some wonderful women sitting in. One, uh, her name was Holly Near. She's a singer and activist. Um, now she's our best friend. Um, and she also has a documentary coming out about her shortly. Uh, another panelist was Nora Shapiro. She was the director of Time for Ilhan, as well as Jennifer Steinman, who's a producer on Time for Ilhan. And then Ricky Stern, who's a co-director on Netflix's uh, Reversing Row. So um, we had a great panel. And, uh, you know, it was the same day that uh, Kavanaugh was sworn in. Uh, as the next Supreme Court judge and we were so happy to be in uh, a space that uh, honored and talked about women uh, up in Mill Valley. It was beautiful and we just want to thank Zoe Elton who's a director of programming for the Mill Valley Film Festival for asking us to be there. So listen in on our panel and uh, we'll see you on the other side. up here to bring our guests up for this. Um, I'm going to pass straight over to you guys. Thank you. Hi, everyone. How, how are you? Hello. This is the last panel. Let's have a little energy, huh? Uh, we are the Bitch Talk Podcast. My name's Erin. Hi, I'm Angela. And uh, we have been a Women of Color podcast for the last five years, since 2013. We have 300 plus episodes. Our 300th was with W. Kamau Bell. You can check it out at bitchtalkpodcast.com. Bitch Talk Podcast. Don't Google Bitch Talk. Bitch Talk Podcast, that's a whole other thing. Uh, anyways, we'd like to introduce, introduce our panel uh, right now. Yeah, we are so honored to be here with such empowering humans uh, on this panel. I'd like to invite Holly Near, singer, activist. Ms. Holly Near. Uh, Ricky Stern, co-director of Reversing Row. Coming fresh off the plane, thank you so much for being here, Ricky. And Jennifer Steinman, producer, and Nora Shapiro, director of Time for Ilhan. We're all meeting each other right now on stage. Good company to keep. Yeah. So um, we're going to ask a pretty general question for all of you to answer, so we'll just go down the line. Uh, why is activism in film and art important? <laughs> I think all art has a, a point of view. It's just in countries that are afraid of progressive thinking, separate out the art that has a progressive point of view by calling it political or by calling it any number of other things. So regardless of where the art, if you have a song that says, I can't live without you, baby, baby, nobody's going to call that political. But as a little girl growing up hearing that kind of music, it certainly affected my way of thinking about myself. So I think art is extraordinarily effective. 
And it's why it's so important that we, we who want to take responsibility to really understand what it is we're saying. Um, I guess I would say that for me, it's a window into other worlds. It's an opportunity to share other people's stories with, through film. And for me, it's always this universality of it, that everyone, you know, whether years ago my first film was, you know, uh, kids in a welfare hotel, what, why I wanted to make that film was because I realized these little kids want what every other little kid wants. So having an opportunity to put your viewer into a world that might seem very foreign to them, it helps us all realize that we all want the same things that we all value truly at the end of the day, the same things that make us human. Um, I guess uh, I've been realizing lately, like we, we like to make these distinctions between, you know, this is my art and this is my family and this is my life and this is my this and this is my that. And, um, and really there's no such thing. Like it's, it all is all of us, right? So. Um, I grew up in a family of, of artists and photographers and dancers and, um, and I really, you know, learned from a young age that what you do in the world is seen by people and you're, you're constantly, um, no matter what you do, you're part of the culture, you're creating the culture, everything you create is part of the culture and the culture affects everybody and therefore it is political. <laughs> therefore everything you do is activism and you can use your power for good or you can use your power for evil and you can decide how you want to use your power but every one of us is powerful and every one of us is, is, is constantly producing something whether you're aware of it or not. So um, to really, you know, I've always, um, I've been drawn to be a filmmaker and that's the way I choose to use that power. And I think that um, uh, I, I like to do it consciously as opposed to unconsciously. I think it's really important. Uh, I, I would agree with everything that's been said. <laughs> and I'll just um, add a little different perspective. I, I came, this is my, my second incarnation professionally. And um, I started out as a public defender and I was a, a trial lawyer. So that was all about bringing my beliefs about social justice and into act activism and what I did with my life. And then when I made the switch to a, a more artistic um, way of making a living, um, working, um, it, it was a continuation. And, and for me, it, it's, you know, it's what Ricky said, it's about connecting and, and the universal. And um, it's about stories moving people and, and connecting um, in, in an authentic way that expresses myself and then hopefully connects to something bigger. Great, thank you. Can we go down the line? We can start with time for Ilhan. Give us a little introduction into what your project is and, and what drew you to it. And for Holly, what, what drew you into a life of activism? So we you start with time for Ilhan. To the quick condensed version. So Time for Ilhan, for those of you who, who don't know, is a um, story about Ilhan Omar, who is um, the first Somali-American uh, elected to, to legislative office in the country. Um, that, that's the story that the film covers. And then um, late breaking, soon to be breaking news, she is about to, because time's moving so quickly these days, um, she's about to become um, one of the first Muslim women in Congress. 
Um, thank goodness. Um, and I was, I was actually drawn to that story indirectly. Initially, I was looking to tell a story in that community about um, women and leaders in that community, one that would dispel a lot of stereotypes that I would, we have the largest Somali community in the, in the world outside of Somalia in, in the Twin Cities. Um, and um, I was looking, this documentary, for something else and came at it sideways. But as soon as I met Ilhan Omar, um, I knew that she was remarkable and that it was gonna be an amazing lens for looking at a lot of the issues that were of great concern to me. She was taking on a 43-year incumbent, a white woman who'd been in office for 43 years, um, and also was facing off against a Somali man. So there were, and, and this was all within the Democratic Party. So there were lots and lots of issues. Um, she was hijabi, a, a young woman who'd never held office, mother of three, and um, I knew that regardless of whether she won that race, um, much like in Street Fight, one of my favorite films, it, it was gonna be an amazing story. She was going, she was a star, a rising star, and it was gonna allow me to investigate a lot of um, issues that I thought were really important. And then lo and behold, um, she ended up coming into office the same day that Hillary lost, and um, you know who else came into office. And then things, went from there, the Muslim ban, et cetera. And so um, it's been a wild time, but in terms of art as activism, it truly was my salvation, making this film during that period of time and my way of, as a filmmaker, fighting back and putting something into the world that I hope is gonna offset so much of what we're... Everything that's happening. Yeah. Um, and I'll just add, um, so Nora and I, um, are, have been friends for a long time. We had collaborated on other projects before, and I had sort of, you know, talked to her intermittently over the course of a year when she had started filming this local candidate in Minnesota where she lives, but I didn't really know anything other than that, that that was what she was up to. And then um, the day after the election, when I was in my all black <laughs> and tear-soaked clothing, um, the New York Times had an article and it said, uh, the. The headline was The Bright Lights in the Post-Election Darkness. And it was a picture of Kamala Harris in California and Ilhan Omar in Minnesota. And I was like, oh my God, that's the person that Nora's been following for the past year. Um, and so I didn't even know where she was at, the, at with the project, but I called her and I said, oh my God, you have to finish this film and you have to finish it now, and how can I help? Um, and so I just jumped in and, and again, as my form of activism, right? So it's definitely, you know, for a lot of us that were affected by that election and the way we were, you know, it was like, how many times can I fill out a petition? How many, you know, I, I like, I never have given money to campaigns before. I signed up to give Kamala Harris $25 a month and then I screwed that up and somehow it made it go twice. And so I get charged $50 <laughs> a month now and I'm just like, okay, please let it mean something, you know? But it was like, <laughs> But you're also like, okay, but what can I really do like that feel, you know, so for me, this film has definitely been a labor of love. We have not done it for the money. Someday, maybe, who knows, probably not. But the, but it is, it has been our salvation in a time where it's like, how can we, everything that's been talked about today about 
the imagery that exists or doesn't exist, who's visible, who's not visible, this film is 100% about making someone visible, making little girls and women all over the world see what it looks like when a woman leads. And it's a, she's breathtaking to watch. So you know that's our goal, is to change the imagery that people are seeing in the world with this film. And I want to add, I watched it on the plane. And also because she's Muslim, there's a moment in it where she's watching the news with her father and, you know, and Trump says what Trump says with white supremacists supporting him. And so she's such a force because of that as well. Yeah. Um, I have a film called Reversing Row. Timely, we're all in the same time pattern. <laughs> we started the film the day after the election. <laughs> Um, we actually had, had come to my filmmaking partner and, and myself as a history of women's reproductive rights in America. And, you know, we were finishing another film and we said, it's just not really what we do, history. And then the next day, we said, we have to make this movie. And it can't be about the history. It has to be a reflection on the history of abortion, legal, illegal abortion in America, what it meant for legal abortion with the Roe v. Wade decision but with the focus on today as well. So we were in Texas, Kentucky, and Missouri for the past two, year and a half. Uh, and the film tells, it really says, how have we gotten here? And it looks at the politics of abortion through the lens of the Roe v. Wade decision. And so the Supreme Court, and the film ends when um, Kennedy retires. And you really see in the film how the Republican Party was really the pro-choice party up until the 80s, up until Reagan, and then masterfully turned into the pro-life party to gain the evangelical vote. And the, reflect the pattern of what happened in the 80s with what you see happening with Trump, and the same verbiage, the same um, political strategist who got put Reagan into office, put Trump into office, for their own selfish purposes. And so um, it's very timely as well. <laughs> Thank you. The, the reason I'm sitting here is that um, Jim Brown, who's a filmmaker, uh, decided to make a film about my life and work. I've been doing this for about 50 years. And he has done films about the Weavers, about um, which is Pete Seeger, Ronnie Gilbert, Fred Hellerman. Um, Lee Hayes, and he's done films about Woody Guthrie and Arlo Guthrie and Peter, Paul, and Mary and Harry Belafonte, and, and he's interviewed me for all of those films, and at one point, jokingly, he said, when are you going to come west of the Mississippi? And what actually happened when he agreed to do this was that he realized he was making a film about uh, feminism in relationship to social change activism and got very excited about that. So that's why I'm here. He will be here soon to speak for himself. But I grew up in a household, a little farm in Northern California, and we didn't have um, television. And my parents, bless them, brought in records. You remember <laughs> records? And they would find them on some catalog somewhere. But that's how the world came into our little home that had a very small opportunity to know about the world. And it's through that music that we really learn to be fascinated rather than fearful. And there's something about that 
that changed, that defined the rest of my life. That if we can remain fascinated, we can then afford to walk into situations and fall flat on our face and be humiliated and get back up and say, that hurt, that was embarrassing, that was horrific, and I would rather know what I'm about to learn than to walk away from it, that I can survive falling down, and especially as a, as a white person. So I had that foundation as a child. Then I went to uh, Los Angeles because I wanted to uh, work in, in, actually I really wanted to go to New York and be a Broadway star. So. That was, I'd learned dancing and singing and acting, but when I was in LA, I started getting parts in, in sitcoms. So I was in room 222 and All in the Family and The Bold Ones and all of, and those scripts were so, not because I, w I understood feminism yet, but they were just inherently twisting my stomach in some way that I couldn't quite understand. I never walked away feeling, yes! Um, and didn't even know what to call that until one day I joined a group called uh, the Free the Army Show, which was a group of artists who were trying to respond to the war against Indochina. And the script was based on writings coming from soldiers themselves, soldiers who were resisting war and racism from within the military. And I signed on to that. And while in the Pacific, in Vietnam, not in Vietnam, in Hawaii, Philippines, Okinawa, Japan, I really learned my feminism from the women who were living in occupied territories. And the occupier was the US military. So I began to understand the, the military industrial complex and what that meant. And when I came back and went back to doing shows in Hollywood, again, I couldn't make some of those ideas come out of my mouth anymore. And I did go to New York and did hair on Broadway for a while, but then while I was there, the students at, Kilt, at, at Kent State were killed by the National Guard, and things just kept coming around that were calling me. I look back, and there was just no way in hell I was ever going to be able to make it as an actor. First of all, I was plump, and now they're nice, big-sized women in Hollywood, but back then there were not. And also, so I got, I got all the homely girl parts, and the only way they knew how to do that was to put on glasses and things like that. It was very shallow, but there, I could never have, have had important roles in, in Hollywood. So then with my music, I decided to go to the record companies and see if I could get a record contract. And they would say things like, um, well, we like your melodies, but you'd have to change the lyrics. Or they would say, you don't think you can be a pop singer, there's not enough element of submission in your voice. And it just kept coming at me in my face again and again. And I, it hurt at the time, but I'm so grateful that I kept getting shoved up against these obstacles because it made me the artist that I then became. Thank you for that. I'm gonna switch it up a little bit and ask Ricky, um, are there advantages to the Netflix platform for screenings or film? Uh, I think that there are. So our film um, uh, went up on Netflix uh, September 4th, I think, and, um, and sort of pushed it through very quickly. Netflix was very aware that um, it's going, and it has been part of the dialogue around the elections because it really does focus on the importance of 
presidency and their ability to um, nominate Supreme Court justices. So uh, yes, it's, Netflix is in 190 countries. They translate your film into uh, many, many languages. I don't even know how many. And um, it feels very immediate. So I've, we've had films on HBO and, and Showtime and PBS and all that. And, and they're all great too. But there's something about the Netflix platform that I think especially if something is very topical and, and can be used for activist purposes. So for example, Planned Parenthood has put out um, kits to 56 of their affiliates how to use the film, how to have house parties, how to be, you know, use it for educational purposes and activist purposes. And Netflix allows you to download it for free and use it at, for educational, or I don't know if it's download or stream it for free for educational purposes. So it can be in any university or any school, anything for free at any time, you know, now. And they are very active in creating um, content, you know, and partnering with relevant uh, organizations to create content that, the, you know, that helps uh, people use the film effectively. Great. Can I just ask one question about that? How long did you have to wait after your screenings of the film with other companies before you could sell it to Netflix? No, Netflix paid for it. Oh, they paid from day one. They were in, but um, but yeah, go Netflix. Great. Uh, for Jennifer and Nora, I love part of the film when Ilhan is deciding whether she should run, if she can do it. Her mentor tells her, "You need to stop asking permission." And I love this message of we're strong, we can have emotions, we can do, we, we, and we are unapologetic about it. I think that's a great message. Oh, you want us to comment on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is actually, oh, uh, that's so interesting that you asked that. So I actually, I forgot to wear it today of all days, which is crazy, but I actually had this um, bracelet made for myself on Etsy, which I highly recommend to everybody, um, recently, and it says, permission granted. Ooh. And I wear it all <laughs> the time. Yeah. And, um, and it came out of you know, this experience that I had, actually not on the Ilhan film, but on a different film I've been working on for a couple years, that for the life of me, I cannot get funded. And it's the most baffling experience of my life. Um, it's also about a powerful, strong woman of, woman of color. So that might give you some ideas why it's hard to fund. Um, but she, but um, I, 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 I went to hundreds of meetings in Hollywood, in New York, everywhere for this year, just meeting after meeting after meeting with funder after funder after funder going, uh, I'm not sure if there's an audience for this, I'm not sure if there's this, I'm not sure if there's that. And after a year of this, I felt like, um, I felt like I'm not a filmmaker right now, I'm a film waiter. Like I'm waiting for somebody to say I can make this film. And that happens to all of us all the time. Like we're waiting for the funding. We're waiting for someone else to give us permission. We're waiting, we're waiting. And I was like, screw this. Like there has to be, you know, we have to figure out a way to green light ourselves. We have to, like we have to figure out a way to give ourselves permission to do our work in a way that's not dependent on other people deciding whether our work is valuable or not. So I'm sort of obsessed with that right now. And I'm, um, <laughs> And, and I do think that that was her message to Ilhan too. You know, in the film, it's um, a, a lot of what Ilhan kind of realized in Ilhan's journey, which, you know, Nora can talk to also, but, um, you know, she, she actually uh, supported her, the, her male opponent in the, in the race. In the previous election cycle, she supported him to run for office. And he lost. 
And it was after that experience of like, you know, I put everything into this man to push the man forward and, and help the man win, and he didn't win. I'm just gonna go do it myself. But it took her how many years? Well, it, it, <laughs> it's making me think there's a statistic about how many times it takes women to be asked. So for every man who gets up and goes, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna run for office. It takes women it's somewhere between seven to 14 times of being asked. And so that was very much um, part of the purpose in making the film in the first place. And this goes to the political arena about stop waiting to be asked. Start seeing yourself. Representation matters. Start seeing yourself, having little girls see themselves. Um, But it it, it, um, expands beyond that. You know, Jennifer talked about in, in the filmmaking realm, our own realm. If, if I sat around and waited for somebody to, and, and this is a whole other conversation, we can get derailed on, on you know, the feasibility and the sustainability of not having the, the Netflix route, which we did not, um, and we're still, frankly, struggling with, with some of those dynamics, but there was no question for me. This presented itself to me, and I just, if I would have paused and waited for someone to give me permission, the film wouldn't have happened, and this moment in history wouldn't have been captured, and um, I, it's, it's that. You know, it, it's pervasive, hopefully, for all women and all people who are finding barriers. Can, do you mind if I no. say something Go about that? Go for it, Holly. Back in 1971, when I got back from that first tour and I couldn't get a record contract, I decided I would make a record myself just to record them, get them out of the way, um, so I could go on back to Hollywood and do it. So I started a record company with my parents up in Ukiah. And all that meant was we got a label and we had to have a business license and, and we figured out how to make the record. And if I had known how to do it, I wouldn't have done it. I would have been really afraid to do it. Yeah. But I go, oh yeah, I'll make a record, you know. And we went and we made a record. And in hindsight, I've been told that I was the first independent women artist to ever start a record company. So. I'm really glad I didn't know that. And it, we just had to do it. It was almost like I didn't say I want to start a record company and carry on. I threw it away. I did that thing that went, well, I'll, just, I'll do this because I want these songs out there. But what actually happened once we made the record was that we had such a, that swelling feeling of independence that my parents and I and the other musicians I was working at at the time, we talked about what if we kept going, let's do a second one, and then we did a third one, and by that time, I realized I wanted to record other people who were doing music, had songs that nobody in Hollywood or in, in LA were gonna listen to. So our first record outside of, our, of me was Sweet Honey and the Rock. And that was such a life changer for us, it was really amazing. And then we did recordings of Chilean artists who had been exiled in Europe because of the military coup, and an artist from Lebanon, and then out lesbian artists. And it just became so fulfilling that the idea of going back to another world seemed almost impossible. So I would just say yes, yes, and yes. You know, if you have an idea and you want to do it, there's always the chance of, of going back into the the nightmare of corporate (laughs) art, but if we can possibly do it on our own. And and also just hearing all of these panels to keep remembering when we say women, that women come in all shapes and sizes and colors and economic brackets and abilities and disabilities. And we made that mistake early on. We didn't have the same level of sophistication 
then, and it's my great sadness that we weren't better at understanding racism and class back then. But fortunately, we got to work with Sweet Honey in the Rock. So. They, they gave me a song from one of my first films, Sweet Honey in the Rock, mm. called them up. They said yes. Mm. We have time for just one more question. So I'm going to go down the line. And Holly kind of just helped us get right into it. But um, what are you each going to walk away with after being at the summit today? Well, I have a very quick answer. And that is while I was sitting out there at lunch, I've been uh, on tour and trying to People coming to the concert, it feels like we're taking a group shower to wash off the toxicity. Um, <laughs> so it's been very engaging. But being out there and listening to you all talk and network with a kind of level of excitement just was so uplifting and so fantastic. I just feel like I got a big vitamin shot. So thank you all. I just got here and I have to leave. <laughs> but I will say this, that I, I don't want to sound like, oh, well, we just had Netflix. I mean. For most of my career, I f was writing grants, you know, I was and shooting with my own camera and shooting with my friends' cameras and making short versions of what would become longer films. One film we did about a wrongful conviction in North Carolina, we shot over 13 years. Oh. And people would say, oh, you know, I was like, no, I was working at the same time. <laughs> I right. didn't just work on that film. But I, I think the thing is that now more than ever, you can take your iPhone. I know it sounds stupid, but you really can shoot your subject. You can get started so you, you aren't waiting around, because that is a very frustrating thing. And making a film that has an ad, you know, that has advocacy in it, it, you are more likely to get funding through these foundations, of which there are many, many more than ever before. So I think it's, you know, it's a great time to be doing this. Jennifer? Oh, no there's pressure. so many things. Um, you know, uh, such a beautiful day. Um, I know so many people worked so hard to make today happen, and I feel like we should acknowledge that that's their form of activism. Um, Zoe at the top of the list, and, and everyone at Mill Valley. Um, you know, I, I also feel like I'm really touched by all the men in the room, and I feel like um, we really need the men as our allies, and, and um, you know, uh, Today makes me cry, but um, we have a lot of work to do, you know, and, and everything matters right now. And I, uh, that's what I really got from today. Um, I'll just add the perspective of um, being a filmmaker based in um, flyover country um, it is interesting, and this is my first time at the Mill Valley Film Festival, and it is remarkable. And this Mind the Gap Summit is incredible. I'm I'm honored and privileged to have been invited and been here all day. And I, I feel um, the the networking, the connections um, that have been made are real and tangible. The energy, certainly feeling um, being in a safe and a brave place. We heard that today in the midst of what's happening. I'm, you know, my social media is filled with people. I can't stand it. I'm devastated. I'm, and I feel like, well, I, I have a little bit of a cocoon here and I feel empowered the same way that I did when I was making the film in the midst of that. And, um, you know, from the ashes, and I'll just close with something that Ilhan said, the night we were filming her, the night of the election, um, and we said to her, you know, how do you feel? What does this mean, being elected the same day that, that Trump 
won the presidency. And she said, you know what? Um, in some ways, the monsters have taken off their masks. Oh. And so we know, we all know who the monsters are. There's no pretending. There's no illusions. And so I think, I think we know what we have to do. And I think everybody here today talked about that in one way or another. Right. So. Thank you guys so much. Nora, Jennifer, Ricky, and Holly, thank you. We're Bitch Talk Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And here comes Zoe. We're going to thank these wonderful people. Thank you, thank you. Um, and I'm going to get, can we borrow a, can we have a mic for you too? So we just, we're picking up on the question that you two just um, asked. And yeah, you can do that, yeah. And we want to ask you the same question. What's, what are your takeaways from today? Yeah. Um, Put you on the hot speed here. I think, here. thank you so much for the, the question. I think um, for me, it's that I'm not alone. We have a community. Yeah. And um, that's what it takes to make change, is to have a community and to feel supported and to feel listened to. So that's definitely what I'm taking away from to today. To feel listened to, yeah. Yep. I, I have to say, actually, ending with this particular panel, was kind of great just because everybody is it, it is about activism and that seemed really important for today how about you Aaron I just think uh, I really appreciate you I'm gonna start crying oh. um, <laughs> I've known you for quite a while um, yeah but that the uh, Mill Valley Film Festival and Mind the Gap um, knows that representation matters and that's why we're here so thank yeah. you thank you yeah, yeah. Thank you. What about me? Well, I, I found myself wishing that we'd had um, a t-shirt machine somewhere out there <laughs> that we could have put on things like Gen what Jennifer just said, permission granted, yeah. mm -hmm. um, or everything matters, um, or being in a safe and a brave place, or um, Anna Paquin earlier today said, allies of any gender. When somebody talked about male allies, she said allies of any gender. I liked that. Um, and uh, also from that earlier panel, zero fucks. <laughs> I wish we said that. That what? should have been ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
register your friend to vote, have them come with you, make a day of it. Uh, we will see you in a week and hope you enjoyed this episode. Bitch, please. <laughs>